0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I am the teaching elder here at Grace. If this is your first time here, we are so grateful that you chose to be with us this morning, and to worship with us this morning. I do want to just once again hit the importance of home groups. You, you, you hear from God's Word here on Sunday mornings, but as we were talking about in the Grace Connection class, nobody can do theology in a vacuum. You can't do it by yourself. I've learned so much from every group that I attend. Now, we, we host a home group at our home in Arena. Um and we have a, 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 the same group that comes every week, and we learn so much from them, but when we visit, same thing, when people are talking, you're learning about the word, and so it goes so much deeper, surely hope that you will uh, get connected in a home group. I want us to think about the fact that every single day there is competition for the hearts and minds of everybody in the world. All people, there is a competition going on. Obviously, advertisers want to get you to think about what they're selling, but re- uh, writers, um, uh, entertainers, for more than just for the dollar signs, they want you to think like they think. They want you to hear their message and agree with them, And the competition for believers is no less intense than it is for unbelievers. Even though there are some activities that believers just have to rule out automatically. Man, if you, you younger guys think that you rule out a lot automatically, you don't know anything. You, you accept a whole lot more than we used to accept. And most of us accept them now too, you know. But, but still there are certain things that you just have to rule out. I, I trusted Christ when I was 18 years of age. And, and, man, there were some things that I just immediately gave up before anybody had a chance to tell me. I knew they were wrong, and I threw them out. Um, the temptation, though, then becomes for believers to move from unacceptable distractions from the gospel to acceptable distraction from the gospel. One of the things that I, I had a real difficult time quitting was smoking cigarettes. Man, it was difficult. Um, I went up to the I, I got saved one month before I got out of high school. I, I went up to TBR, Team Valley that summer. I was on staff. when I would come home on the weekends, I'd, I'd smoke, but then, you know go back up there, I couldn't smoke, of course. And it was difficult for me to stop. So finally, with the Lord's help, which included knowing that it, when I went to Bible College that fall, I would get kicked out if I didn't quit smoking. Uh, I finally was able to quit smoking, but I replaced it with another habit: drinking coffee <laughs> um, look all out people are going to be all out no matter what saved or not saved it's just we we 've got certain personalities, and it, 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 if you 're saved, you just have more sanctified passions than you do when you're uh, when you 're not saved uh, it 's fairly typical for most of us we tend to replace. One passion with another. If there's a bad passion, you need to replace it with another. So I love what John Piper says. when he, he, he's, he's actually quoting a friend of his who says, We worshipped our way into sin. We need to worship our way out of sin. Because when you're sinning, you are worshipping an idol. If, even if it's the idol of self. But So worship one direction or another. Uh, and so these passions that we... Uh, replace, with which we replace the bad passions can be good or bad. And, and frankly, it's sometimes easy for beliefs and attitudes and positions and actions that fall within the acceptable realm of the Christian life to slowly take over the most important goal and passion of worshiping God Growing in Christ and telling the good news of Jesus to our neighbors, those around us. We, we actually do love our neighbors as long as they share the same passions we have for music, for Netflix shows, for politics, sports, teams. Look, I love Ken and Amber Morgan. There's just one thing I got to say, though. They pick the wrong team in the Super Bowl every single year. They were pulling for the Denver Broncos last year. Right here in Carolina Panther territory. And now they're wearing a Falcon shirt. Look. There are very, very few teams. I would probably pull for an Iranian team over New England. Patriots on most days. But today I'm pulling for New England over Atlanta. Because they're the Panthers' biggest rival. So just work at it and you'll figure out who I pull for. So... Look, where, other than that, I love them. I love Ken and Amber. And they both have military backgrounds, so I better be quiet. Uh, so, So where on your scale would your passion for seeing the lost come to Jesus' land? See, once again, when we're first saved, we want everybody to be saved. Man, I I would witness to a telephone pole right after I first got saved. But then I get so caught up in the good stuff of living the Christian life with other believers that, that that passion begins to wane a little bit. Look, if you're a follower of Christ, surely you want as many people as possible to believe in Jesus and follow Him in spite of the differences that you may have With them in other areas. But the fact is. It's really easy to get so excited about the other things. That it's almost like you. Or you communicate whether you you mean it or not. You communicate. I don't care if you get saved or not. Because the wrong things are important to us. I mean what is more exciting than seeing someone come to Jesus. And the entire trajectory of his or her life. Is changed in a moment. And it's evident. You ever witness someone close to you saved in such a dramatic fashion? That everything about life changes? Look, maybe you weren't saved in that dramatic fashion. You grew up in a home that believes in Jesus. You've always believed. You can never remember a time when you didn't believe in Jesus. Not only am I saying that's okay... I'm saying, I envy you. That's the preferred way to be so connected with the Lord all the way up that you can't even remember a time when you didn't believe. I'm happy for you. I always prefer that path. But, but you don't have to look far in this world to see a people in deep need. So today and next week, as we begin to start to move in what it means to share the gospel with other people... We're asking the Lord to increase our passion for seeing sinners come to Christ. For, for, for having hearts that are stirred for outreach and evangelism. And we're going to look to Romans chapter 10 to, to, to see that. In fact, today and next week, we're going to be looking at Romans 10 verses 1 through 17. But today we're only going to get the one of three points from this uh, Romans 10, 1 through 17, and that's only going to cover the first four verses of Romans chapter 10. Uh, We'll also, though, look at several other verses that have this same theme in mind. And so, if you would, we're going to just read Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. So please stand as Scripture is being read. And... Look at your Bibles or at least look down from the screen because that's not what is up there. Paul is writing to this Roman church, people he's never met. It consists of Jews and Gentiles both. And he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, he's talking about the Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. These last two verses that we won't be looking at again much. Just tell the gospel that we've been studying these last many months. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God And seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. In other words, they didn't submit to Christ. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Let's pray. Well, Father. um, We are so thankful that. You have made a way for us to stand in your presence. Lord, for a a way, you have made a way for us to be declared righteous. We who are sinners and have no hope apart from the righteousness of Jesus being transferred to our accounts. It's almost like we were to go online to our bank account and all of a sudden, a hundred billion dollars has been transferred to our account, except that It's so much more important that the righteousness of Christ be transferred to our account than it is for all the money in the world to be there. Because this life is temporary. And Lord, there will be a reckoning, an accounting. And so, Father, we pray that you would inform our hearts and then... Uh, break our hearts and then encourage our hearts to share the good news of Jesus to the world. So speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and be seated. This will be a good week for you to spend some time in the 10th chapter of Romans. Like I say, we're only looking at four verses today, but we're going to look all the way through verse 17 next week. I should warn you though, that Romans 10, when you start to, to try to find the context of something, Romans 10 is right in the middle of three of the most difficult chapters in, in the New Testament. I don't know how it is that somehow in this series, I keep coming to some of the toughest passages in all of Scripture. Romans 10 is actually not nearly as difficult as Romans 9 and Romans 11. And in these three chapters, they're, they're difficult for us To understand, and they're difficult especially for fair-minded American Christians often to embrace. Since God's sovereignty over the salvation of men and women throughout all ages is seen as absolute in these chapters. And with this truth so evident, uncomfortable as it is to some of us, it's interesting that Romans 10 speaks so directly and so passionately to the believer's Responsibility in God's redemptive plan. So you got both things going on. God chooses and you're responsible. And in fact, if you fail to do what you're supposed to do, God's plan will not be fulfilled. That seems contradictory. It all is given exactly as it is. So I wanted to go ahead and lay out the three points of focus in our study of Romans 10 for today and next Sunday. Uh, Although we'll only be covering this first point, which is this. A heart for the lost understands the consequences of dying without Christ. It understands what happens when people die without Christ. If you understand that, your heart for the lost is going to grow. Next week, we'll get to points two and three. The second one is this. The gospel is a simple message with serious implications for those who believe. It's a simple message, the gospel is, but it has serious implications for those who believe. The message that one believes in order to become a Christian or continues to believe from childhood into adulthood, it's a simple one. It's pretty simple. Repent of your sins. Acknowledge that you're a sinner before God. And acknowledge also that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was a sacrifice eligible to pay for your sins, and he was raised again from the dead for your justification according to the scriptures. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for our sins. When he said, it is finished, the Greek word is tetelestai is used. Man, I'm out here now, and now i got to keep going. Tetelestai is used. It's in the perfect tense. That means that it's an action that was completed in the past, but it has implications. To the present, present time of the writer, but since scripture is eternal, it means something right now. Jesus said, It is finished. And that word could also be translated, Paid in full. Now, Jesus spoke in Aramaic. The writers wrote in Greek. They were making a very specific point. When Jesus died, he was saying, Sins are paid in full. And it's finished. He gave up the ghost. So, what happened then? He was raised from the dead, and God was saying, I am pleased with your sacrifice. When you you repent of your sins, and when you believe that Jesus died in your place, you become a Christian. It's, It's a very simple message, but it is no casual decision that you make when you believe. It requires everything, and I mean everything of your life. Everything about life is different from this point forward, no longer do I belong to myself. I belong to him, but I do so gladly with gratitude for what he has done for me. So it is our responsibility as believers not to complicate this message and add to the gospel like we talked about last week, nor to mitigate it in people's minds to say, oh, it's really not that big a deal. You just believe and, <coughs> and everything will be okay. No, Jesus, you accept. You receive Jesus as Lord when you come to Him. So, we don't want to in any way soften, lessen, mitigate the profound implications of following Jesus. Then the third thing we're going to be talking about is if we do not take the gospel message to the lost, they will not hear, nor will they be able to believe. Is God sovereign over salvation? Yes. Is this true? Yes, it is. We'll see it in Romans 10 very clearly. They will not be able to believe if we don't take the message to them. So, if God is indeed sovereign over redemptive history, then what's the big deal if I stay on the sidelines? Romans 10 addresses this question at a shocking level if you don't have a passion for sharing the gospel with those who don't know Jesus again spend time in Romans 10 this week and ask God for the to give you that deep passion for those who don't know him it's kind of like look I know a lot of you you're reluctant to ask God for the passion because you think he's going to make you do something about it it's I heard the other day one third one-third of the people in this country don't go to the doctor because they're afraid of hearing bad news. How crazy is that? Well, it's not that crazy. Apparently, I'm part of that one-third. I don't want to hear the bad news. And then when I go, it's never bad news anyway. So, But you're afraid that God's going to make you do so. Listen, God is going to give you the privilege of doing that. Well... Today in Romans 10, verses 1 to 4, we're going to look at that first point. A heart for the lost understands the consequences of dying without Christ. It's time to look again at our text in Romans 10. Taking just a few moments to understand the Apostle Paul's thoughts at this juncture of the book of Romans. It's like in, in the first eight chapters... I used to hear people say, Romans 8, is, I think, is the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. And I thought, Romans 8's great, but I don't know that I'd call it the great. I think Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in all. I mean, it's just the more you understand about what God has saved you from and what He's given you in Christ. It is magnificent, Romans 8 is. It addresses so many parts of the Christian life and God's, kindness to us in so many ways and our hope that we have in eternity. And, and, and then Paul comes to chapter 9 and he's saying, but look, my, my Jewish brothers and sisters don't, they don't get it. And it breaks my heart. He lamented, Paul lamented the reality that the very ones who should have been the first to believe in Jesus, the Jews, refused to do so. So now the gospel has been open to the Gentiles. Look, I'm I'm not going to develop this thought. I just don't have time. Talked a little bit about it in Grace Connection this morning. But this is what I see every week, week in and week out when I study scripture. God is a God of symmetry. Look, I'm not not a mathematician. I guess I have a little OCD in me. If you're visiting in our home and I see a picture that is crooked, I'm going to get up and go adjust it. I really work hard at not adjusting the pictures in your home when I come to visit. But I fail sometimes. I, I, I you know, if I've got change in my, my pocket, I'm trying to arrange the coins. It's just, I, I just, I like symmetry. And you see it in Scripture at pretty deep levels. Week in and week out when you... And so the Jews... No longer believe and it opens the way for the Gentiles. What does that mean? I don't know. I know God is a God of symmetry. And it's and it had to be that way. In Romans 9 through 11, Paul reminds his mostly Gentile readers that when the Jews fell into unbelief, the way of salvation was open to Gentiles. And he was essentially saying, don't get proud. Do not any of us. Get proud about, well, I had good sense to believe. No, you didn't. God was merciful and gracious to you. And that's why you believe. Jews and Gentiles alike, though, were saved in the same way. Calling on Jesus to save them. Romans 10, verse 1. Brothers. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. When Paul writes to his brothers, he's writing to his Christian brothers in Rome, that's Jews and Gentiles alike. But when he is talking about his kinsmen, he identifies them, his Jewish brothers and sisters. And he said, my heart's desire and prayer for them is that they might be saved. Now, if you have an NIV, your translation says that Paul is praying for the Israelites to be saved. And Israel is designated in the King James. It's not there in the Greek, but that's exactly who he means. And so those translations are not out of line when they add that. He's talking about my desire for the Israelites is that they might be saved. Um, Why would Paul pray for anyone to be saved? Why would he pray for anyone to be saved if, as he has unequivocally claimed in Romans 9 it's God's choice because it is the way that God works His redemptive plan we don't understand it all but what He says we do understand that He says it's this way and we look at this and say well now that seems a little logically I wouldn't necessarily go there it's the way God and, and one thing you can be sure of, you, not be sure of but you can have great confidence in this if God has burdened you to pray for someone to be saved, there's a good chance that he's using that as a part of his redemptive plan. Look, I, I just feel like anybody that I am connected with in this world that I get so clearly connected with, somehow God is using this to bring that person to Christ. Now, that's ambitious, and it's, I'm sure it's not the case every time that everybody that i interact with is going to be but when I interact at a pretty deep level I'm always trying to share the gospel although as we will see this spring that doesn't mean let me take you down the Roman road just think about the Roman road you go here then you go over here then you come back to here and then you go over there it's a nice help and it's a nice plan I like the Roman road that's probably what I use if we get right down to it but the gospel comes in bits and pieces to most people And they have to hear it over and over before they believe. Before they fully understand. Most people that I know that understand the gospel believe it. A lot of people don't understand it. You can say it just as clearly. And we we said it's a simple message. But you go down the Roman road and say, Now do you understand what it means to be a Christian? Yes, you just do the best you can. Hope everything will be all right. They don't get it. So when God opens somebody's eyes, and when you're connected with people, you're probably a part of that plan. Talk to them. Pray for them. God has called us to pray. Is there anyone that you're praying for who does not know Jesus? At, At the very least, you can pray as Paul did for a people or a nation in general. We'll see the depth of his passion for Israel's salvation in a moment, but notice how he characterizes the Jewish people in verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You ever known somebody like that? I mean, the Morgans have a zeal for football, but not according to the right teams. You know, they don't pull for the. I'm sorry, guys. People have a zeal for God. This one is dangerous. Look, if you have no desire to tell others about Jesus, chances are good you just don't know him very well. Uh, to, To possess a knowledge of the gospel and yet have no zeal to share that good news with other people is unconscionable. Truly, you've heard the analogies. What if you had a cure for cancer and you kept it to yourself? You got something that's way better than a cure for a cancer. Way more important than a cure for cancer. You cure somebody from cancer with medicine. You pray and someone is healed from cancer because of medicine. They're still going to die in the not too distant future. You share the gospel and they believe. They're going to live forever. So, if you have a knowledge of the gospel, but you have no zeal, no desire to share Jesus with others, that's unconscionable. How can it be that way? On the other hand, if you have religious zeal, but you don't have knowledge of the gospel, you don't understand the gospel, to you the gospel is is words plus action. To you, the gospel is Jesus plus you better watch your P's and Q's then you're a danger both to your own soul and to others. So Paul was saying, my, my Jewish kinsmen have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. When you go back and look at verses 3 and 4, as we did a little while ago, you'll see that, the, that they rehearsed the truth of the gospel. Life is found in Jesus' righteousness, not in our good works. The Apostle Paul opened this section of Romans, Romans 9 through 11, in chapter 9 with a visceral, a deep groaning of of his understanding of what was at stake in the message of the gospel. Look at Romans 9, 1 to 3. "I, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I think Paul meant what he was saying. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I would wish myself were accursed. I could wish that myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. For the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Great sorrow and unceasing anguish of heart. Paul expressed this kind of. Uh, of heart for his Jewish brothers and sisters to be saved. How deep was his desire? He said, look, if if God would just allow me to be accursed, I would gladly spend eternity apart from God if they could be saved. You know what? I'm, I'm guessing that some of you have that kind of passion. I don't know that I've ever had this kind of passion for the lost. I'm honest with you. But I know some of you would give anything if your child could be saved, if your child would believe, if your parent would believe, if a dear friend, a brother, or a sister would believe. Look, most of us, quite simply, just don't fully consider the consequences of dying without Jesus. Because once we're saved and we get into this life, we're just... As Allison would say, happy as Larry. It's my favorite Aussie expression he uses. Happy as Larry. And we just sort of forget about what we left behind. Paul understood that it was more than a matter of not going to heaven after death for those who don't believe. But horror. There is judgment waiting for those who don't Believe in hell. Hell awaits those who don't believe in Jesus. Now, there's a topic we don't want to talk about. Hell. I don't want to talk about it. Well, actually, when you think about it, if we don't talk about hell, then maybe... Just maybe it doesn't exist. And and, and maybe what you believe and how you behave means a whole lot more in this life than it does in the next life. That's a lie from Satan. It's a lie from Satan to think that what happens next week, next year, next election cycle is more important than what happens in eternity. David was talking about this recently, the, the, how theologically minded worship leaders and hymn writers are talking about how there's this realized eschatology in hymns today. In other words, everything I have in Jesus is all I need right now. Whereas it used to be, everything I have in Jesus is going to mean everything for eternity. And one day when we stand before Christ, then that's what really matters. And if you don't think that, it really doesn't matter how you live. Well, of course it matters. Of course it matters. But it needs to be focusing on this. It needs to be focusing on that. Not so much about the gospel. A little bit more living. How about that? Live the right way. Look, it's not true that we don't want to believe in hell. We just want to believe in our own way. What do you hear? You ever hear this? Well, there's a special place in hell for people who fill in the blank. Interesting, isn't it? Not only do we create God in our own image, we create hell in our own image. Or according to our desires. So, if my focus is right here on this earth today and never on heaven, then I don't have to worry about hell. And I can use it to just bolster my particular position and say, if you don't do this or you do that, then there's a special place In hell for you. Look, in both the Old Testament and New Testament, God is described as a God of mercy and of wrath. It's not like the God of Old Testament was a God of law and anger, and in Jesus we see this meek and mild side of God. I'm always surprised and a little bit amused when people speak of Jesus as all love and no judgment. And I hear it a lot. Oh, if we just saw love like Jesus did. It, you, apparently, you weren't a Pharisee in that day. You know, when Jesus was calling you a snake and a whitewashed tomb and, and, and stuff like that. I, I just don't see that particular Jesus in the Gospels now. It's a Jesus of love, of deep love and compassion and care for people. But His compassion led Him, moved Him to speak about the consequences of, without, of dying without believing in Him. So, Jesus talked about hell. In fact, Jesus talked a lot about hell. Why? Because he was mean and judgmental? No, because he loved his creation. He wanted them to know of the judgment waiting for those who rejected him. Did you know this? Jesus spoke of eternal judgment more than any of the Old Testament prophets. And he did so in many different contexts. Luke 9 is one of the 11 places in the four Gospels where Jesus compared hell in the valley, uh, to the valley of Gehenna outside of Jerusalem. It's a, it's a place where child sacrifices had, had taken place in the Old Testament. Uh, it was like the old trash dump. Just, just for point of reference, how many of you went to the old... This is for older, older people. Now, excuse me, more mature people in our, our, our body... <laughs> How many of you went to the trash dump and practiced your rifle shooting skills on rats that were at the trash dump? Uh, none of you. Okay. That, forget I ever said that. Uh, well, I used to do that in Fuquay. Um, oh, down there, I can't think of the name of the road right now. But there was an old trash dump, and, and it was always burning. Stunk like Dickens. It wasn't like the landfills of today. They stink, too. But but, but, but. There were rats all over the place. And people would go down and take 22 and and practice shooting uh, down there. That was acceptable in the day to everybody. Um, So here's a trash dump outside of Jerusalem. And the fire is always burning. And the Romans and their mass crucifixions. Look, if if you have a loved one who receives the death penalty and they're executed... You're going to go get the body and you're going to give them a proper burial. In that day, if, if someone was executed by the Romans and you went and asked for the body, you were suspicious. Like what, what connection do you have there? So people wouldn't claim the bodies and they would throw them on these trash heaps. And this was a horrible picture It was a horrible picture. It was a place of burning garbage and burning sewage and burning flesh where worms and maggots never stopped doing their work. And so this is what Jesus says in Luke 9, 47 and 48. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. That word for hell is Gehenna. Eleven times it's recorded in the gospel. Jesus talks about Gehenna, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So when Jesus preached about hell, it was a warning for those who didn't believe the promises of God. And it was like a parent that takes a child's hand and puts it close to a burning stove and says, or a hot stove and says, that's hot. Don't touch it. It's hot. Stay away from that. So Jesus is is warning them about hell. Did, did, Did he consider it necessary to preach this so that those who had strayed from the path might get back on the right track? Because look, they were all Jews, right? They were God's covenant people and we're all... We're, look, we're Americans, right? Christianity is our religion. Not as much as it used to be, but, <clears throat> but really you've got to understand that this is who we are, so we're okay. We start off okay and as long as we... No. We all start off in the wrong place. John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him, John 3.18 says, if we don't believe, we are condemned already. He that believes in the Son is not condemned. He that doesn't believe in the Son is condemned already. It's the default position. So when someone says, well, I just can't believe God would send a good person like that to hell, the question is, not arrogantly, but the question is, are any of us good? Really? Are there any good people? Just before Jesus was crucified, he lamented over the lost state of the Jewish nation. Matthew twenty three thirty seven. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who were sent to it. How often... What I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her arms. And you were not willing. I offered you salvation. And you rejected it. You said no. Hard for the lost. One last text I want us to consider. That, that deals not only with the religious. But also with the, with the pagans. With the more worldly and, 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 and philosophers of the day. And a text we'll consider surely consider more fully down the way is Acts 17. Where Paul's grief is recounted when he went to the ancient uh, center of philosophy and wisdom in Athens. And in verse 16 it says, Now Paul, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. It just... Like, I'm so sad. So what was his response? Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. And in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. So Paul was constantly sharing Christ. He was reasoning with them. The the pattern for preaching and witnessing in the New Testament seems to include a great deal of reasoning with lost people. Most of the direct stuff you see was apostles interacting with the Jews who had all of the Old Testament, all the promises that had pointed to Jesus. And not only did they reject it, they, they hung Jesus on a cross. They had to do it indirectly with the Romans. But anytime you see... Paul or the other apostles interacting with people that don't know Christ. They're preaching boldly, but they're also reasoning and trying to help them to understand. Uh, Look, there's no one correct way to share the gospel. Jesus seems to have never used the same method twice. His interaction with every single person was different. I mean, much of the command for witnessing in the epistles seems to be responsive in, 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 in nature. Live in such a way that that people will want to know what is different about you. It's rarely forced. It's kind of like when you get the opportunity, you earn the right to share the gospel, and then every chance you get, you do at least a piece of the gospel. Be prepared to tell people who want to know what is it that's different from you and about you. And look, you may, you're going to get. Hard times if, if you're different from everybody else at university or in public school or at, 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 a, at a job where people love to party but don't really care about spiritual things. They're going to call you different alright, but sooner or later somebody's going to want to know. What's that about? Be ready. We'll get to all of these themes in this series, but we need to begin with a broken heart over the lost state of people uh, who die without Christ. So very much is at stake. So let's bring three brief points of application from today's message. First, ask God from Scripture to give you a broken heart for the lost. Don't try to work this up on your own. In fact, don't try to work anything up on your own. When you hear people say, look, I, 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 I don't care that much about Scripture. But I just love praying and the Holy Spirit ministering to me. Theologically, just think it this way. Don't separate the Holy Spirit and Scripture. He's the author of Scripture. He's the one that... And those are God... That's God's Word to us. I'm I'm happy if you like to pray. Just don't make the mistake of saying, the Word's not all that big a deal, but my personal time with God. Look, we all get a personal relationship with God, but nobody gets a private relationship with God. Understand that? You don't get a private relationship with God. You do get a personal one. But it comes through the word of God. So don't try to work this up. Just look at scripture. Be in the word. The word itself will begin to change you. The prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus in the gospels. The apostles in the epistles. I like the way that sounds. The apostles in the epistles. Everywhere in scripture you see God's heart for all men to know him through believing his promises. Which culminate in the New Testament with the gospel. And you also see the dire consequences of not believing. If only we cared as much about the need for sharing the gospel as we do about our team or our show or our calls. Second, incorporate prayer. Into your prayer life for those who don't know Jesus. Incorporate that into your daily prayer routine. And that's assuming, of course, that you have a routine and that you know lost people. And if either one of those is lacking, get with it. Last, and where we'll begin next Sunday, ask God for the courage to tell the truth to those outside of the covenant family of God. See, what we're tempted to do is to tell those around us, hey, it's just really cool if you'd be a Christian. And it is so cool and it's wonderful. And, and maybe let them discover that by inviting them to church or inviting them to a home group or a Bible study that you're doing somewhere. But tell the whole truth to people or make sure they get to hear it in some form or fashion. We don't really like to talk about judgment, do we? I mean, even if we want to share the good news with people, we want to skip the hell part. And as I've said before, and I'll say again in this series, people already get a lot of that. You don't have to major on it. This is the, the thing that I'm talking about today and next Sunday is really as much for our benefit as it is for anybody else. We need to understand the consequences of what it means to die without Christ. Deep down, most people understand there will be an accounting for this life at the end. But when you say it out loud, it's not going to make you popular. Jude seemed to indicate in his brief letter that there's a time for preaching the hell to the lost and a time to be more gentle in your approach. So how do you discern when is right to, to preach judgment and, and another time to preach grace and mercy? Look, the more you know about the gospel, the more time you spend in the word and you immerse yourself in the gospel, and the closer you are in your walk with the Lord, and and you're led by the Holy Spirit, you care deeply about others, then you'll be a lot closer to knowing. It's one of the reasons, again, we spent so much time just understanding this gospel that we're going to be sharing with other people. God's truth will prevail, and it's up to us to share it. Amen and amen. On the first and third Sundays, Uh, of the month we celebrate the gospel at the Lord's table at this table we come and we remember that Jesus Christ's body was broken for our sins and his shed blood not only covers our sins it removes our sins as far as the east is from the west and if you are a baptized believer, it doesn't matter if you're a member of this church or not, we invite you to come. And if you're not, if you're a believer and you're not baptized, please talk to me. And let's talk about this second of the two important sacraments that the Lord has called believers to participate. So after prayer, the elders and the deacons and the worship team are going to come forward. And as they come, I'll be given instructions for how we're going to participate in this time. But let's let's. Come to this table in prayer. Well, Father, this uh, this message seems to have ended rather abruptly, and it's not a pleasant topic to think about. Hell at the level that we have thought about it today, but this topic is an absolutely, or this table is an absolute cure uh, to the reality that those who don't know Christ die apart from him and under your judgment. We are all under the wrath of God until in Christ we are hidden through the cross. So speak to our hearts, Lord, and as we come to this table, we do so recognizing that your word tells us to examine our hearts before we come. And if there is sin there, to confess it and to repent. Lord, I know that there are people here who are saying, I'm afraid to come to this table. I've sinned so many times in the same way. Lord, you, you don't hold yourself to a higher standard than us and then you hold us to, and when Jesus said to forgive your brother seventy times seven, countless times, then you forgive us when we say, "I confess, oh God, I agree that what I've done is sin. Please forgive me and help me." And in this table, as we not only remember, but as the Scripture says, and We participate in the body and blood of Christ and really don't know what that means. But we do know that this table is serious business. If it's not, we look ridiculous up here. If this is not true, we look ridiculous. But we believe it at this level. Help us to believe that everybody needs to know Jesus. Give us that heart. And even as we participate today, we do so with broken hearts over our sin, with with, with hearts that celebrate our life in Christ and hearts that look forward to Jesus' return. So meet with us today, right here in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is indeed a meal for believers, Uh, in just a moment, we are going to come up the inner aisles, outer, inner, center, and we're going to come down the inner aisles, partake at the station that is in front of you, of the bread and the juice, uh, representing the body and the blood of Christ, and then um, go back up the outer aisles or back up the center aisle, so we'll come down the inner. Go up the center or, or go back up the center or the, the outer aisles. Jesus um, instituted this meal on the night that he was betrayed. And we're told, now as they were eating, this is from Matthew's gospel. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks. He gave it to them saying. Drink of it all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant. Which is poured out for many. For the forgiveness of sins. I tell you I will not drink again. Of this fruit of the vine. Until that day. When I drink it with you new. In my father's kingdom. We look forward to that day. When we celebrate all the time in the presence of the Lord. And this is the whole story. We, we look back, we look to the present, we look to the future. We, we live in the present and we look to the future when we will be with Him for eternity. I want to pray uh, for these elements and then the elders will first serve themselves and then they will... Um, indicate when you are to come forward. You can partake in the front or you can take it back to your seat either way. Father, when we think about the scourging that Jesus received, the mockery that was thrown His way, when we think about The excruciating pain, in fact, the word comes from the crucifixion, excruciating pain of the crucifixion. We think about what a beautiful thing Jesus did for us. That was nothing in His heart compared to the anguish of our sin being put upon Him and His Father turning away. And the wrath of God being poured out on the Son. That's what Jesus did for us. And today, as we come to this table, we do remember with grateful hearts as well as broken hearts. And we pray that you would bind us together even as you bind us to yourself at this table. In Jesus' name, amen.